Good morning again, everyone. You're a quiet bunch today, but that is okay. I want to preface this message with a few statements before I pray. But I'd like to begin with a question. And I don't often begin sermons with questions because I know that there are those who are in the third category, the I don't know category. But I think on this question, I might get some responses. How many of you have ever asked for the Lord to bless you? Raise your hands. How many of you have never asked for the Lord to bless you? Thank you for not raising your hands. Because I wouldn't think you'd be in, I wouldn't think that would be a genuine response. We like blessings, but blessings are always in God's way and in God's timing. Today, we're going to see the greatest blessing that the world has ever been given, summarized in three words let it be. But before I go into God's word, I always like to ask the Lord to lead us by his Holy Spirit as we go before his throne in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, it's always an awesome responsibility when I stand here and I ask for you to speak to me and then through me. And I pray right now that our minds can be calibrated to hear what the Spirit has to say to us. We know that your word always speaks, but we pray that our desire today would be to listen. And find fertile soil, we ask, in the hearts of those who are here, those who are joining us, and may the end result be we can declare as this humble little servant, let it be. In Jesus' name I pray and ask. Amen. Today we're going to do something unusual. We're going to use our Bibles. Is that okay? We're going to use our Bibles. The scripture reading is in Luke chapter 1, verse 37 and 38. Luke chapter 1, verse 37 and 38. A beautiful passage. And the context of the passage is the greatest gift we've ever received. Dr. Luke writes, For with God, say it with me together, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That phrase, departed, as I've studied the Bible, I have found that in situations where the angel of God finally departs, it is when the servant, when the person, when the individual in whose presence the angel is speaking, when the angel of the Lord concludes that Bob is now safe to leave on his own, the angel departs as was the case with Peter. You may remember when Peter was in prison and the angel of the Lord led him all through the three gates out into the city 
And then the Bible says, and the angel departed. In other words, Peter was now at a place where he could be safe by himself, even though we are never alone because of the Holy Spirit. So you find that in this passage, which we're going to get to in a moment, you find that the angel of the Lord decides to depart from Mary when she simply says, let it be according to your word. One of the most wonderful truths about the entrance of Jesus into the world has often been overshadowed by one of the most famous music groups of our time, the Beatles. Now, I told this story about four years ago, three years ago, I believe it was. And since then, I had a chance to go back and to look into the picture of the story, into the finer details. And I came to the conclusion that there's a portion of it I didn't mention that is very, very significant, very important to understand the story. So I'm going to share that with you today. You see, the song Let It Be catapulted someone that Paul McCartney described as Mother Mary, catapulted her into the minds of many and painted her in the minds of many out of harmony with God's word. You may remember the words. Paul McCartney wrote the song, Let It Be. And Mother Mary became the central person of comfort in his times of trouble. The lyrics are already coming to your mind. When I find myself in times of trouble, help me out, Mother Mary comes to me. Speaking words of wisdom, let it be, let it be. It catapulted Mother Mary to become the ever-present help in his hour of darkness. Because he said, and in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom again, let it be, let it be. It catapulted Mary to become the guest who communicated to him through the sound of music. He says, I wake up to the sound of music, and then Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, saying what? Let it be, let it be. That song is not by itself. That song, and I'll share with you what Paul McCartney actually said himself. He testified as to where he got the inspiration for that song. And it was also linked to another song, Yesterday. As he was going through a difficult time in his life, another song that came out of that difficult time was when he said, Yesterday, love is such an easy game to play. In other words, his yesterday was more desirous than his today and really looked better than his tomorrow. Yesterday. But the one that really became front and center was this song, Let It Be. We hummed it. We know it. If you're old, you know it. <laughs> Young people, you don't have to say amen. But Paul McCartney was interviewed about where the song came from, and he recalled in a book by Marlo Thomas, the book was entitled, The Right Words at the Right Time, and this is what he said. I was going through a really difficult time around the autumn of 1968. It was late in the Beatles' career, and we had begun making a new album, a follow-up to the album called The White Album. 
as a, as a group, we were starting to have problems. I think I was sensing that we were beginning to break up. So I was staying up late at night, drinking, doing drugs, clubbing, the way a lot of people were at the time. I was really living and playing hard. What many of us don't know is this turbulent time came on the heels of the Beatles saying that they were more famous than God. And they started internally crumbling because nobody is more famous than God. Even the atheist would agree with us on that one. He goes on to say, it was then during one of the brief bouts of fitful sleep, couldn't have any rest, that managed to punctuate his insomnia, that he was visited in his dreams yet again. This time by a soothing presence of faith and fortitude. Waking the next morning, feeling restored, McCartney wrote, I put my pen to paper for a new song that recalls this moving experience that I had when I slept. And the lyrics were simply this. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be, let it be. When that song was released, people thought, wow, Paul McCartney is Catholic, and he must be speaking about the Virgin Mary. And when he was interviewed, he said, I'm okay with that. And I'll share that with you in just a moment from his own statement. But the reality of the story is, he said, I had a dream, I saw my mom. He's from England. I saw my mom, who had been dead 10 years or so. I it was so great to see her in my dream, because that's a wonderful thing about dreams. He said, you actually, in your dream, are reunited with that person for a second. There they are, and you, there they are, and you appear to be both physically together again. It was so wonderful for me. And she was very reassuring. In the dream, I believe she said, it'll be all right. I'm not sure if she used the words, let it be. But that was the gist of her advice. And so I wrote down, let it be. Her name was Mary. His mother name was Mary. Her first name was Mary. And her last name was McCartney. So he had a dream about his mother during difficult times in his life. And in the dream, she said, it's going to be all right. And he said, I don't remember if that's exactly what she said, but I wrote down, let it be. And then he says, but Mother Mary makes it a quasi-religious thing. So you can take it that way. I don't mind, he told Miles, who was interviewing him. I'm quite happy if people want to use it to shore up their faith. I have no problem with that. I think it's a great thing to have faith in any, of any sort, particularly in a world like the one we're living in. His world was crumbling. And 1968, if you were around that time, I was only years old. <laughs> but I wasn't a teenager, let's make it for the record. And the Vietnam War and the wars and people were fighting, and there were songs, Bring the Boys Home by Freedom Payne, and 
with the temptations, with their songs, the ball of confusion, all those songs, the world was really at such odds with itself. Martin Luther King had been shot. There were wars. There was rioting in the streets in, in L.A. and in New York. The world was in a mess. That's why he said, I think it's a great thing to have faith of any sort, particularly in the world we live in. Today, my brethren, we need to have faith, particularly in the world we're living in. In a world as turbulent as ours, those that believe in the unchanging words of prophecy and the accuracy and the reliability of God's word should also confidently say when we see the economy crumbling and when we see the division between presidential elections, when we see the, the, the unsure future, the instability in society, where America is split down the middle over what our future is going to look like, we should be able to open God's word and read it and say, let it be according to your word. That's the only thing that gives me comfort in times like these. Because God's word doesn't change, does it, Donna? God's word never changes. God saw it a long time ago, and he so graciously opens to us. He rolls out the carpet and says, walk on this carpet, my word, because this is the only one that gives you a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. And what do God's people need in dark times like this? A lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. So let me encourage you. 2021 is not too far away. I don't like to date sermons, but it fits right here. Let's not tumble over into 2020 with political dust on our feet. If there's going to be dust on our feet, let it be from the ancient words of God. Let us walk where Jesus walked. Let's walk on the road to Emmaus with Jesus by our side. Let's go to the places that remind us that we have a blessed assurance that regardless of what's happening in America and around the world, we know how the story ends. And it doesn't end with an atomic explosion. There's going to be some difficult times ahead of us. But when we get past the flames, Jay, that are on our back, and when the furnace that's heated seven times hotter for the people of God, we are placed in it, we will discover that in times of trouble, Jesus comes to us as he would and as he did to the Hebrew worthies. Got a lot of things coming, Joe and Nancy. A lot of stuff on the horizon, Donald. But God is our ever-present help in time of need. How beautiful the story is given to us because Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, invites us to plunge into very difficult circumstances. If you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 1, we're going to walk through the story and find out. I know that to many of you the story is familiar, but that's okay. Familiar things are good to go back to, like the pictures in your attic or those dusty boxes that haven't been opened all year, but you open them for Christmas decorations and you find something you've been looking for for months. Bob, <laughs> that's how it is, Alice. <laughs> you know, that's how it is. We've been purging in our house. <laughs> and my wife and I said, man, whatever happened to when we moved to California, everything we owned was in a five by eight foot trailer. 
Now we need a ship to move. <laughs> Anybody could identify with what I'm talking about? Some of you have stuff that you ain't seen since Jesus was a baby. And you're still holding on to it. So I said, honey, we got to take it one step at a time. And I said to her, you are right. Everywhere I look, there's stuff that I haven't worn in a long time. I had a chance recently to look at an old picture. And there in that old picture was a sweater I had on that day. I said, boy, if that sweater could talk, it could tell us about what happened the last 30 years. But that's how it is. Sometimes you got to look back to find courage to go forward. And this is one of those stories that invites us into an already difficult set of circumstances. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. The Bible says now, that's a transitional period. Now, in the sixth month, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named what? Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. That means engage. Joseph was of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. You know, when we talk about situations like this, the question that this verse begs for an answer to is, for whom are difficult circumstances already difficult? For whom are circumstances already difficult. There are a lot of difficult things happening right now in our world. I had a chance to talk to my cousin who works for UCSD, University of California, San Diego. And right now, the nation is rushing out this vaccine. Uh, Got to get the vaccine out. Got to get the vaccine out. Inoculate. Got to get the vaccine out. <laughs> I won't give her a name. But she does research. She's a part of the research team for this upcoming vaccine. She said, I know too much to want to take that vaccine. Not for the next six months, at least. Because, you know, there's a lot of testing has to go into these things. Field testing and impact on a person's life. What happens to a person six months after they take it? Why? What's the big rush? Well, you come in January. If God spares our life, we are moving in a direction far more rapidly than we can ever imagine. I don't want to make it seem as though you shouldn't take the vaccine, but I want to tell you, we live in difficult times and difficult circumstances, and it, is, it should be responsible on our part to honor the things that are taking place for our good, but we have to be people that are conscious, people that are informed, people that are aware. We are living in difficult times when you hear that Hundreds of thousands are dying on one side, and on the other side, hundreds of thousands are ignorant of even trying to prevent death. Difficult situations. That's why I said to my wife, Angie and I, we've traveled. We've taken the risk to travel. But God has always been faithful to bring us back home healthy. We come back home, you know, if you feel anything, you say, oh, <laughs> Did I get anything? Feel my forehead. What's my temperature? <laughs> Is, this, if you, is your throat scratchy? No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's how we're living right now. Am I telling the truth? And then, you know, we were in the car. It was so funny. My wife and I and her sister were driving around. We, we had some funny times in California. We were in Coronado Island, which if you've been to California, you know, San Diego, right along the coast. We said, let's go to Palm Springs. 
We didn't see a cloud, Jay, a single day that we were there. <laughs> Maybe just a few in the distance the day before we left, but they dissipated by about 10 o'clock in the morning. So we decided, let's go to Palm Springs. Let's go to the top of the mountain and look over in yonder. How far is it? Two and a half hours away. Let's do it. No rush. We got there. Beautiful. There's the mountain. Can't wait to get to the top of the mountain. Talking about difficult situations. So we drove up to the entrance, and there were three police officers. And I thought, well, COVID check, you know, temperature, asked the three questions. They didn't ask me a thing about COVID. They said, do you have tickets? Tickets. We're going to buy them when we get, ah, no, 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 no. You have to have tickets before you go. So how do I get them? You go online and get your tickets. Can I get them now? Uh, it's already sold out today. But I just came from Africa. No, I didn't. <laughs> I just drove 500,000 miles. Sorry. Is there room for one more? No. <laughs> so, Jay, we went online trying to get tickets. Sold out, sold out, sold out. What about the next day? Sold out. What about five days in a row? Sold out. So there we were. We only had a chance to look at the mountain. And we decided to make the best out of a bad situation. You know, brothers and sisters, as bad as the world is getting, if you study God's word, we can make the best out of a bad situation. Because God's word is always the good news in bad times. You've heard the cliche, good things come to those who wait. The reality is it's better to say it another way. I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which one do you want first? Let's start with the good news. Heard a story of a guy that was in the hospital with two broken legs. And the nurse comes in and says to him, well, there's good news and there's bad news. And the guy asks for the bad news first. Marlene, he said, tell me the bad news first. So she said, well, we're going to have to remove your legs. He said, okay, so what's the good news? She said, well, the guy next to you wants to buy your sneakers. Now, that's cruel, isn't it? That's cruel. Bob, you shouldn't have given that story. That's how the world is. It's bad on both sides. It's bad on both sides. It's hard to find something good today. But as we unpack the story, sometimes good news plunges us into the worst set of circumstances. Sometimes it takes a while for good news to start feeling good. Sometimes good news doesn't make sense until God unwraps it. So we're going to unwrap some good news in a bad set of circumstances. I was going to do about American prophecy today, about more signs of the end times. And I said, after looking at the news, I want some good news. I want something that's going to encourage me to say, hang on in there. we got a few more weeks in December. Pray for God to carry you through. Give us strength and courage. So we're going to look at some good news. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. Come on now. Let's look at the good news and how it unpacks. Good news and bad news. Let's find us some good news. The Bible says in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. 
His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. That's beautiful to say about your life. But, is that word, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. The Bible is so kind. It could have just said they're old, but they were well advanced in years. Donna, which means not everybody well advanced in years are old. Because I'm well advanced in years, but I'm not old. Come on, guys. Amen? Being well advanced means we got more experience, right, Brian? We got more experience. Doesn't have to be old. We know things now that we should have known earlier, and we would do things differently. But they were well advanced in years. Obviously, Stieta, they were at the point where having a baby would have been something nice if they could have done it earlier. When you study the story and the, and the, and the chronology around it, more than 40 years had passed since Zechariah could recall hearing Elizabeth complain about her biological clock. Did you hear that, ladies? More than 40 years had passed since he could remember Elizabeth complaining about her biological clock. As a matter of observation, they stopped walking through the baby section in a local Walmart. They probably started walking past that section at a slow place. Not because they wanted to, but when you get old, everything is at a slow pace. When you get older, things happen fast, but just not the same things. The things that happen fast when you were young are replaced with other things. For example, young people, they think fast, they talk fast, they run fast. They remember names and places fast. But as we get older, we get excited when we remember someone's name. And you are, what's his name? Bob. People we see all the time. And it happens when somebody asks us, what's his name? We start using signals to ask each other. <laughs> old, 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 old folks are laughing because they know it's true. When you are married for a long time, you start finishing each other's sentences. Because at that point, which my wife and I have laughed about, it takes two people to complete one thought. And I, am I right? And, and then you get older and you, you say, let's, let's, Let's watch a movie tonight. And you brag if you could stay up for one hour. I stayed up for one hour. Zachariah was old and had been at his job for quite some time. He gave up the dream of having children, and the routine was well established in his life. I'm always tempted to talk about my wife and I at this point, because I've talked about my wife and I when we talk about Abraham and Sarah. But I'm honestly not asking for children at my age. Honey, come on, say amen. 
I don't know if you didn't say amen. Because this world is getting tough. And the Bible says, woe unto those who have children in the last days. So I don't want no, you know, because I, I did that once. I did this terrible thing. It's terrible when you're at a certain age and you say, okay, if we had a child now, how old would I be when they hit 18? And it's like, it's like two different worlds. They're 18 and you might as well have been born when Abraham Lincoln was alive because you don't have anything in common. Am I right? So we don't even talk about that anymore. But if you think about Zachariah's situation, we're going to unpack some stuff here because God's blessings are not predictable and they are not preventable. Just when you think that God has forgotten, <laughs> the blessing comes that totally interrupts a normal life. Think about it. I think of blessings that come sometimes like, um, like Jamaican Aki. Probably just two people know what I'm talking about. Maybe three. There's a fruit in Jamaica called Aki. And this fruit is a mixed blessing because Aki contains a chemical called hypoglycin, which means if you eat that fruit before it's ripe, it'll kill you. So you have to wait until the fruit pr produces a pod that turns red and that it opens up naturally. Once it opens, the only edible portion is the yellow part, the arilli, surrounded by an always toxic black seed. Now, to Jamaicans, they use aki as an egg substitute. It's good for scrambled eggs. My wife has made that before. But the blessings of God are sometimes like that. If you rush them, the situation could become poisonous. But if you wait till God's blessings unfold naturally, how did I say it? Naturally. That's why he says, be anxious for nothing. Oftentimes we want to rush God's blessings. But when you rush God's blessings, you end up in a toxic situation. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Here's how the Lord encourages us. So if you've been praying for something to happen, wait. Here's what the Lord says. Isaiah 40, 31. And when we wait, we know that God's blessings come in a way that we, we get tickled on the inside. Love the way Isaiah says it. For those who wait on the Lord shall renew their what? Their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But some folks lose their zeal serving the Lord because they've made up their minds that if God was going to bless them, he would have done it already. God's blessings are not preventable and God's blessings are not predictable. And Tracy, God's blessings are according to God's timetable, right, huh? God's blessings are according. Sometimes we sit back you know, we don't have any children, so we talk all the time. Sometimes we talk too much. I would encourage husbands and wives, talk too much to each other. Amen? If you can talk too much to each other, you have a great relationship. If you can say to each other, okay, enough already, you have a great relationship. <laughs> because sometimes you talk to somebody and say, okay, we got to get something done. 
Let's stop talking. Okay, you do that and I'll do this. But we talk all the time. And some, sometimes we sit down and we look at our lives through the scope of the chronology of years and situations and circumstances and we say, look at us now. And then we look at each other and go, that's God. So brethren, in this world like we have today, we can get so distracted by the winds of temporary things. I say temporary, because it doesn't really matter who's in the White House. Revelation's clock is locked. Doesn't matter who the Pope is, or what the Vatican said, or what letter they wrote, the prophetic timetable is locked. God says, I will put it in their minds to fulfill my will. God is in charge, is he not? So wait, and if you wait, you will run and not be weary, you will walk and not faint. You will even be able to walk through the valley of the shadows of death. But you got to pray. And if you show cracks in your armor, don't be ashamed. God understands that humans have cracks in their armor. Sometimes we even get to the place where we say, I'm upset with God. But don't be there too long. Because if you get upset with God, you only have one other person. And be glad to converse with you. Paul the Apostle says in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due time we shall reap if we do what? If we do not lose heart, if we do not faint. Don't faint. If you don't get tired of doing good, in God's timing, the blessing will come. The blessing will come. Some wait all their lives for recognition, and it comes when they're old. I had a guy that talked to me, I won't mention his name. He says, uh, pace yourself. He said, pace yourself. I said, what do you mean? He said, do you see where you're headed? I said, no. He said, but I do. Pastor who's now resting in the Lord. Pastor Walter Pearson. When he came here to 3ABN a few years ago, when he came back in the circuit and was preaching, he and his wife spent time at our house two or three days. We sat at our table there in the kitchen and he started unfolding his journey how he had a stroke, what happened to his life. And he said, I, he said, you see, he said, Loma King, do you see where you're headed? I said, no, he said, I do. He said, your world and my world is quite different. In my world, it took 15 years for people to even knew you exist. But in your world, it takes a few hours. He said, handle that with respect. Handle that with humility. I see where you're headed. Sometimes people work all their lives wondering if anybody would notice. I've learned that it's not me that people need to notice. It's the Jesus in me that people need to notice. That's all that counts. Some people are self-defeating. They're waiting for people to thank them. I just want to hear the Lord say to me, Jay, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I want to be saved for the same reason you want to be saved. I don't want folk to know what I used to do. <laughs> anybody else can say amen to that. Lord, did you delete my record? <sighs> As Martin Luther King, I mean, Martin Luther had a dream. Martin Luther, the reformer, had a dream. He said it was a horrifying dream. He had a dream. In the dream, the devil rolled out a scroll with all of his sins on it. And he was tormented in agony. And before the dream ended, he said he saw a hand that was connected to nothing. And it had a blotter on it. And on every sin, he said that hand stamped pardoned, 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 pardoned. Come on, somebody, pardoned, 
pardon. Praise God. He makes all things beautiful in his time. Does he not? That's why Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24 tells us again, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from God, you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Don't ever get confused thinking you're serving people. Jesus said, as much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Whenever you go to bless somebody, don't say, I hope you're glad I helped you. Oh, no. Would you say that to Christ? Absolutely not. Everything we do, do as unto the Lord, because he is the one that's going to give us our reward. Zechariah had to wait to see God's blessings because he did not believe. Look at Luke 1, verse 8 to 10. He did not believe. He had a difficult thing believing that his clock and God's clock was not synchronized together. Luke 1, verse 8 to 10. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. You know what that was? Just to give you, was the hour of incense. The incense indicated the prayers of the saints rising before God. So in a symbolic way, the people are outside praying and Zechariah is lighting the, the incense at the altar of incense, symbolizing that those prayers are ascending before God as a sweet-smelling savor. But it says in verse 11, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. God never stands on the left side. <laughs> when you're with the Lord, you're on the right side. And when the time is right, God was about to send the blessing. And notice what it says in verse 12. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled. And what happened? And fear fell upon him. Moses, what would you do if an angel showed up in your office? I think this could describe that. Do you work at 3ABN? Are you visiting? His wings come out. You're not visiting. I've come to speak to you. And 15 minutes later, when Moses is not responding to Cindy's phone calls, she comes in and finds Moses. There was an angel in my office. Did you tell Ajima? Uh-uh. Zachariah saw an angel. I've never had an angel visit, but I believe that at points I've heard God speak to me in faint ways. But I cannot imagine what it must have been like to have an angel in his presence. You see, in an attempt to put Zechariah at ease, the angel begins to describe the blessing. He's saying to him, he's saying to him, don't be afraid. God has sent me an answer to your prayer. I know your wife is 80 years old, but you're going to have a son. 
and don't pick up the phone and tell anybody because they won't believe you. You're going to have a lot of joy and happiness, but I want to tell you at that point, Zechariah is not smiling. Your son is going to be great. He's going to be the forerunner for Christ. For who? For Christ. When? Zechariah is not saying a word. As the angel is unfolding to him, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. People are going to respond to his sermons, and your son is going to help people get ready to meet Jesus. How do you like that, Zechariah? <laughs> Look at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is old. <laughs> well advanced in years. In other words, how am I supposed to believe this? If Zechariah had stopped there, the angel would have strengthened his fading faith. But he didn't stop there. He said, I'm old. And then verse 19 and 20, look at that. Gabriel starts reading his resume to Zechariah to try to strengthen his faith. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. Now we read that. So right at that point, if it was me, I'd have said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where'd you just come from? And I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Would to God that heaven would consider us so special that heaven would dispatch an angel to come down and have a conversation with little old me. Amen, somebody? That's powerful. That shows that God is no respecter of person. When God has a blessing coming your way, God will send an angel. God, Gabriel, not just an angel. Gabriel had been working for a long time. He had experience. But he had to say to Zechariah, but you have difficulty believing what I'm saying. So verse 20 comes into play. But behold, you'll be mute and not be able to speak until the day these things take place. Because what, my brethren? You did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Oh, oh, that's a whole nother sermon. That's a whole nother sermon. Brethren, can I, answer, can I, can I, take, a, can I take an exit real quickly? When you're looking at the world in the way it is, do you believe God's word? that it will be fulfilled in its own time. Now that's important because if you don't, you're going to get caught in the political garbage. You're going to become a, a, a person whose mind is sucked out by somebody's constructed lie. You're going to place your faith in a man who has to put on his pants the same way you have to put yours on. And a guy who needs salvation just as badly as you do. Let us not allow ourselves to put so much faith in things that, that change and people that change and people whose motives are not guided by the truth of God's word. Because we have been told that if we don't believe these words, God will not allow us to speak. The reason why God caused Zechariah to be mute is God doesn't want anybody speaking for him that does not believe his word. I don't want you talking for me. Why would I want you to go out and talk for me? 
You operate in the temple, but just shut up. Don't say anything. Can you imagine? This, now, this didn't happen overnight. There's a little bit of time frame went between Zechariah and Mute. How you doing, Zechariah? Mm -hmm. You okay? Mm -hmm. Can we come by to your house? Mm -mm. You, you feeling all right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Zechariah, this is a real thing. Cannot speak. I am Gabriel. I left God's presence traveling at 186,200 miles a second. I came all the way down here, and you don't believe me? And there are those who have nothing to say about God's blessings, but they often question whether or not God can bless. Sometimes when it's too difficult to believe, the best thing to do is to believe. When it is too difficult to explain, don't try to explain it. Just accept it. God said it, and I believe it. And the verse says in verse 22, notice what verse 22 says. He could not speak. He was what? He was speechless. He could not speak. He was speak. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple. I like to say it the way that it really is. They they were convinced that he had seen something that scared the life out of him. That's saying it kindly. For he beckoned to them and remained speechless. He couldn't say a word. So now let's bring Elizabeth into the story. Verse 24 and 25. How did Elizabeth take the news? Look at verse 24 and 25. The Bible says, Now after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus... The Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Ambulance shows up at your neighbor's house. And you know neighbors like to look. What's going on? Did somebody die? No. But they see, they see the ambulance bringing out an 80-year-old lady on a stretcher. The bad thing about it is they can't ask Zachariah anything because he can't speak. So what happens? Rumors start. Is your, does your, is your wife dying? Mm -mm. And then somebody who works at the hospital says, did you hear that Elizabeth is pregnant? Come on, ladies. Y'all who like to gossip. How fast would that travel? That would be on Adventist Today. That would be in Adventist Review. That would be all over the Internet. It would be on your Facebook page to start. Elizabeth is 80 years old. The head deaconess in our church is pregnant. Let's make this real. Am I right? Because we read this story like it's just some far-off Fairy tale that just happened so beautifully. No, when you're 80 years old and are pregnant, that's the talk of the town. And what makes it even worse, Jeff, is your husband can't even explain what's going on. How long does Zechariah not be able to speak? 
Let's look at verse 59. Let's look at verse 59. God stretched him out. God stretched him out. Look at the answer. I'll give you the answer how long he couldn't speak. Verse 59 to 64. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child. Now you got to get that. Because the last time that we read it in verses earlier, verse 24 and 25, she was pregnant. She hit herself five months. Now she's had the child. So that means at least nine months and eight days have passed because they don't, say, they don't circumcise the child until the 10th day, the eighth day. They don't circumcise them until the eighth day. So at least nine months and eight days have passed, and Zechariah is going to work every day, not saying a word. Look at the next verse. I'll look at verse 59 again. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, no, no, no. He shall be called, what's his name? John. Thank the Lord for a wonderful name, John. Thank God for a good name. But they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. Now, I don't know if you guys caught that. That means when God comes into your life, he doesn't follow your natural lineage. He connects you to his spiritual lineage. That's what that meant. I'm not going to give a name that connects to Zechariah's lineage because Zechariah don't believe me. I'm going to give him a name that connects to a divine lineage because John means the one whom he loves. But they said to her in verse 61, there is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father. See how tough the situation is here? Ricky, making signs. What he would give him or what he would call him. And he asked for a writing tablet. He's still not talking after nine months. Asked for an iPad and wrote, saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. And verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke doing what? Praising God. Amen. I would praise God just to be able to speak again. <laughs> am, I, am I right? Forget about the child. They thought he was happy about the child. He's just happy that he could speak again. <laughs> Forget about the kid. Boy, he's happy to have a son. No, I'm just glad to be able to talk. Oh, we do have a son? Yeah, John. Well, look, I could say something, honey. What was happening? What happened? And can you imagine nine months he had to catch up, all the things he wanted to say but couldn't say? When Zechariah publicly declares belief in God, then God trusted Zechariah with the privilege. Now you can speak about my blessings. But now, in the midst of Zechariah's ordeal, Gabriel is not done yet. Let's go to verse 26 to 28. Hurry up now. You guys are slowing me down. Verse 26 to 28 of Luke chapter 1. You know why Luke is so significant? Because Luke is a physician. 
He's a doctor. And he includes details that Matthew, the converted tax collector, doesn't include. Mark, the underdog apostle, and John, the youngest of the four, they don't include. The doctor sees it the way the doctor sees it. Look at verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. He already messed up Elizabeth's mind, shut Zechariah down. Now he's coming to a young lady who's engaged, has not had a relationship with a man, and he is about to turn her life inside out. So look at his meeting. Verse 29. But when she saw him, she was what? Troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. In other words, young ladies, what? And your name is Gabriel, and you're from heaven. Ma. I mean, really, think about it. But she didn't say anything. She was shocked. She didn't know how to respond. See, but, but, the, but, but to put her at ease, he continued talking. <laughs> Verse 34. Mary asked a question. He told her about she was going to have a baby. He told her that this gift was from God. This gift was the greatest gift to come to the earth. And then she asked in verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? How is this going to happen? See, Gabriel reveals to Mary the core truth about every blessing of God. And then he says it in verse 35. Don't miss this. The core of the message is here. He said to her, the angel answered and said to her, how do we get blessed? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. How do we get blessed, church? The Holy Spirit is in charge of the blessings that God sends to us. And the power of the highest will overshadow you. How do we get blessings, friends? The power of God has to overshadow our lives. The Holy Spirit begins and God releases the power in our lives. Why do we need power? If you don't have the power, you cannot be a witness. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Because the Holy Spirit leads us to be the gifts and the fruits that are able to be displayed in our lives. Without the Spirit of God, we have no function whatsoever. We are, in fact, might and power, but it's not by might or by power, but by God's Spirit. And he says, Therefore also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Wow. The Son of God. You see, the Holy Spirit is always present where humanity meets divinity. And without the Holy Spirit in us, there is no power from which to draw. Jesus cannot be present in us without the work of the Holy Spirit. He cannot be. So before you go into the details of the story, let's not miss this most important point. Servant of the Lord says that we should pray for the Holy Spirit's filling daily. How often? Daily. 
Because without God's Holy Spirit, we are simply clay vessels, unable to do anything to bring honor to God. But when we pray for God's Spirit to come into our lives, with God, all things are possible. With God, how many things are possible? All things are possible. As Luke 1, verse 37, when, when she thinks about the fact that Elizabeth passed her years, but God comes into her life. If God can cause a baby to be conceived and a woman pass her childbearing years, God can do the same for a youth before she's even married. But you talk about difficult. You talk about hard to understand. That's how it is. You see, let me make this very practical. Sometimes when you become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian and God begins to change your life and family members don't understand, I think sometimes the best thing we can say to them is this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Why do you eat that way? Why do you dress that way? Why all of a sudden you're reading your Bible so much? Why is church service important to you? Why do you miss going to church? Why is it such an issue with you when the Spirit of God is active in our lives? Spiritual things will take a higher priority than natural things. With God, nothing will be impossible. But verse 38, verse 38 is the focus of this message. And by the way, through the rest of this month, not counting next Sabbath, we are going to unpack the blessings of the story of this time of year, why God never leaves his people in darkness, because the world has taken this great blessing and made it such a traditional thing. It's about gifts and bulbs on a tree and, and garland and wreaths, all beautiful accoutrements of the holiday season, but none of those things can replace the greatest gift that we have ever received. And that gift is Christ. And don't ever allow the name of Jesus to become another name to you. Don't ever allow the name of Jesus to be so heard so repetitively in your life that he begins to lose the significance in our lives. That's the danger for a Christian. Yeah, yeah, I love the Lord. And I wish that were true all the time. Because if Jesus was as real to us as he was to Mary, as he was to Elizabeth, if Jesus is able to do in us what he was able to do in them, we've got to come to the realization we are not just connected to a power beyond humanity. We are connected to a power through whom nothing is impossible. And I know it. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. God takes the most humdrum of situations and works it out in a way that you look back on and said, how did that happen? Nothing is impossible. We often talk about the blessings. But you know, the sad reality is, unless the Spirit of God is active in your life, I can't even tell you about my blessings. You know why? Because if the Spirit of God is not, not active in your life and I begin to tell you about how God is blessing me, instead of you praising God like you should, jealousy would arise and discontent would arise. That's why it's important that the Spirit of God be active in all of our lives. We ought to be able to celebrate somebody else's blessings. We ought to be able to look at somebody doing well and say, praise God, they're doing well. 
But so often, when the Spirit of God is not in our lives and we are living in the natural, somebody else's blessing can awaken within us jealousy rather than praise. Anger rather than approbation for the glory of God. Pray that God's Spirit is abiding in your life. You know, sometimes God, you know, don't, if somebody gets a car, that's no big deal. You can't drive it to heaven. But if God blesses somebody with a car, say, I'm happy you got a car. If somebody is blessed with a house. I remember Rosemary and Gary. You remember years ago when their house caught on fire. Burned practically to the ground. And I went over there to stand with them in front of what was just charred remains. And I looked at two people that I, now I'm thinking, honestly, if it was me, I'd be like, get up off the ground. But Gary and Rosemary were looking at this saying, oh, well, just a house. And I'm thinking, you can't live in this thing anymore. It's burned up. It's uninhabitable. And she said, you know, Pastor John, this is actually a blessing in disguise because we're going to get a new house. And I never thought we would able, be able to get a new house. So God had to burn this one up to give us a new house. <laughs> so when I go to, when they visited them in their new house, I said, do you miss your old house? Not at all. <laughs> so sometimes God's got to burn up the things we put all our hope in to give us the thing that he envisions for us. And it sometimes come in a tragic way, unfortunately. But I want to tell you, if God can sustain you through those unexplainable moments, we ought to be able to say, for with God, nothing is impossible. That's right. Beauty for ashes. That's what God does. Oh, friends, that's, how, that's, what, that's the story of our lives. We always say it to each other. We're just two knuckleheads from Brooklyn, New York. We're just two kids. One lost a dad at three years old. I lost, didn't know my parents at three months old. God couldn't even find me a, a wife in the United States. So he found me one in England. <laughs> From a dad who said he would never come to America. And God allowed her dad to be laid to rest to get my wife to come to America. He said, I will never step foot in America over my dead body. When he died, they came to America. And we look back on all the things that happened in our lives. And we say, wow, even the bad, even the good. The unexplained, the ruthless, the difficult, the hard to understand. We look back on it and say, nothing is impossible with God. So what did Mary say? Let's bring this to a close. What did Mary say? Verse 38. And Mary said... Behold, the maid servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. As I close, I have to ask a question. Are you a church member? Or are you a servant of God? Church members could do whatever they want. Anybody could be a church member, but a servant of God 
has to surrender to the will of God. Behold, the servant of the Lord. Father, you do it your way. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel said, don't have to worry about Bonnie anymore. Don't have to worry about Charlotte or she's resolved that God's word is going to be her guide. Don't have to worry about those folk down there in Thompsonville. God's word is their guide. I'm going to go where they need my help because there's some folk that have not yet gotten to the place where they're letting their lives be guided according to God's word. So you see, friends, how important it is for God's word to be in our lives. You'll find out in the next message, Mary goes to Elizabeth and for three months they talk about the predicament of being chosen by God, the challenges of trusting God, the blessing of having God invade your life. Dariah, God wants to invade your life. And he's going to do it in such a way that you're going to have to say, okay, Lord, okay, I, I got it. Be it unto you according to your word. Jesus is the comforter in our times of trouble. What do you say? He is the ever-present help in our hour of darkness. Ian, Angela, Liam. He is not the one that Paul McCartney recommends. Paul McCartney recommended his mother Mary, but this Mary recommended Jesus. The words of wisdom came from God, not Mary. Mary followed what God had to say, not the other way around. And the only declaration that came from her lips should be the only declaration coming from our lips in this closing year. Let it be according to your word. The greatest blessing that ever graced the human stage became possible when Mary said, let it be. Is there something in your life today that you're grabbing onto so hard that you won't let it be? Is there something that you're struggling with in your mind? Unbelief, anxiety, fear, hesitation, lack of faith, sleepless nights, troubled hearts, fading hope. All of that will be consumed in that moment when you simply say to God, let it be according to your word. Thompsonville and those of us and those of you that are watching us, let's do something revolutionary. You can't let it be according to God's word unless you know what is according to God's word. We're just about to finish the book of Proverbs. We got two chapters left, three. And then we're going to go on to the next book and the next book. Second time, I was talking to a pastor this week. I'm actually preaching in New York this morning. Ha! How did that happen? A couple of weeks ago, I preached all week in New York. But I'm preaching in New York right now. And I was talking to a pastor this week. He has his doctorate degree, MDiv and all those degrees. And, and it's about personal ministries. And he says, well, tell me something about your life. I said, well, my wife and I read our Bibles every day. He said, together? I said, yeah, together. He said, really? You guys read your Bible together? I said, yeah. I said, and on Sundays we read it more, longer together. About how long? Oh, about an hour. It could go for an hour and a half. We're still reading and studying our Bibles. Sometimes we 
read a devotional, then we go to our Bibles, then we read Ellen White's writings. He said, really? He said, you know, I think I'm going to emulate that in my life. I think I'm going to invite my wife to read her Bible with me. You know, couples, I'm going to challenge the couples. If you and your spouse read your Bible together, you'll find a connection that you cannot find any other way. You'll find a power and strength to, to navigate the challenges of your marriage, of your relationship, of your home, of your mind, of your life. Because I'll be honest with you, I don't care how long you've been married, you're going to still have differences of opinion. But if you read Proverbs, as I was saying earlier this week, I made this statement and it happened too quickly. I said, don't just read your Bible. Let your Bible read you. Did you get that? When you come across a passage that tells you who you are and what you need to put down, when you come across a verse that says you're going in the wrong direction, let your Bible read you. Let it be according to God's word. I said that just a couple of days ago, and yesterday we, we went through Proverbs 28. And when she went across the verses that applied to her, she said, ooh. When I went across the verse that applied to me, I said, ooh, that was a low blow. And she said, yeah, but it's true. <laughs> and I said, but okay, verse, that verse applies to you. Don't be looking at my verse. Look at your verse. <laughs> and she said, why does, why, does, why, does, why does Solomon keep talking about contentious women? I said, because that's how they are. <laughs> and she said, that's not even fair. He keeps mentioning it. I said, you notice he never says it about men. She said, yes, he does. Look at verse 9. <laughs> Let your Bible read you. It's, the Bible is a beautiful book. And when you read your Bible and you fall in love with God's word, you'll say, you'll be able to say, Benjamin, you'll be able to say as a young man, Father, I don't know what the future holds, but let it be according to your word. Danielle, God is still molding your life. I love the fact that, Danielle, I could see all the evidences. Let it be according to your word. Young people, let God's word guide your life. Let it be according to his word. Leaders, husbands and wives, single folk, Timothy, about to make a decision for baptism, about to be baptized really soon. He's saying, I'm going to let it be according to God's word. I looked at Timothy's life. I saw Timothy grow up. I remember those days when he was just nothing but a knucklehead. And I see him now filled with the spirit of God. I praise God for his guidance. Pray God, praise God for his mom and dad that held their breath on those days, but now they can exhale like Zechariah and say, praise God, look at our son. Let it be according to God's word. In 2020, letting God put that carpet of his word before you. And when 2021 comes in and all that junk starts flying, you say, that's all right. I know how the story is going to end. I'm going to let it be according to God's word. Amen, somebody? If you believe that, why don't you stand with me and let's pray together. Recalibrate our minds to the only thing that really matters. Not our words. Not the politician's words, not the economist's words, nor the news words on whatever network you watch, but according to God's word. Loving Father in heaven, yes, what a generation. 
so much different from those days of Elizabeth and Mary, yet in some ways so much alike. Unbelief still rampant on the planet. People still not finding time to give God's word front and center in their homes. Husbands and wives on different pages, reading their Bibles at separate times. Lord, may you violate those homes with your presence. May you interrupt those lives. May you bring a thunderous entrance, send the Spirit of God into those homes that need a shake-up. And greet them with the greetings of divinity. Heaven sent a message for you. Are you willing to accept the assignment? I pray for the young folk in our church, those that are watching, those that are listening. I pray for those whose lives are turbulent right now. 2020 has done a job on so many financially and in the area of health and politics. Lord, let's not even talk about that. Well, I want to end this year, and we want to as a people, sort out our lives and put it back the way it should be according to your word. Thank you, Father. The angel Gabriel has done a lot, and I look forward to the day when I can meet the angel Gabriel, but even more than that, when I can meet my Savior, my Lord, my King, my God, my Deliverer, the one who forgave and restores and recovers, the one who gives hope and strength, and the one that gave me the name John and said, just simply proclaim that I am soon to come. Father, I rededicate my life today, and I say, Father, let it be according to your word. May that be our declaration. Let it be, Father, according to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen and amen. Friends, God bless you. Let it be according to God's word. You may be seated. Don't rush.